Have you ever shared something with someone? Or has someone ever shared something with you? We all know about sharing, right? We're taught to do it from an early age. Many of you are trying to teach your children to share their toys with their brothers and sisters or with other kids at school or in the the children's ministries here at church. Because some kinds of sharing don't really come naturally to us at all, right? But there are actually some kinds of sharing that do come naturally to us. We just naturally want to share certain things. If we know about something great, we want to share it with those we love. If we have a good friend, we often want to share that friend with our other friend and introduce them to that person. Have you ever shared helpful information with someone? Maybe it was a good stock tip or better than a stock tip, just telling someone that they should invest in a well-diversified uh, indexed mutual fund or something. That would probably be even a better tip than a stock tip. Or maybe someone recommended a uh, vacation destination or they gave you some career advice. Now, this, is, this happens in the Army all the time. People will be sitting around and they'll be strategizing about how they can prepare for the NCO board coming up or the way, way it works for warrant officers and officers will be sitting around strategizing strategizing or whatever the word is. Uh, thank you, Will Ferrell. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little Will Ferrell in, in, uh, influence there. <laughs> Strategizing about how they can make captain or make major, all the key development jobs they need to get and get their ducks in a row for that. Or It's the same for other careers. You can get career advice, find out how you can be uh, best in your career. That's someone someone can share with you. Or it could be a product recommendation, uh, maybe for a juicer or a bread machine or that ultimate exercise equipment that's really going to give you amazing abs if you just buy this one thing. Moms, how many of you regularly look at one of those mommy blogs that are out there? Anyone? No, those are the passe, those are things of the past. Ah, somebody is honest in the back there. Maybe it's all Facebook pages and Instagram now. They don't actually have mommy blogs. But you know, you might, places where you go to research about the best brand of sippy cup or the nap and feeding schedule that will make your life so much better or how you should play Mozart to your unborn child or the why you should buy organic, non-GMO, free-range goldfish crackers for your children. That's what you need to get. We, if we know something that's helpful or useful, we want to share it with other people, right? And we don't just share information or things. We often, in a sense, share people. By that I mean we share our friends and acquaintances with other people. You've got to meet so-and-so. You would so get along with my one buddy. Can I set you up on a blind date? Trust me, she has a great personality. Not that I speak from personal experience or anything. Has a recommendation ever disappointed you? Have I got a deal for you? What's it going to take to get you in this car? It slices, it dices, but wait, there's more. Or if you order now, we'll throw in this special device that turns cucumbers into slinkies. Why wouldn't you want to make uh, slinkies out of cucumbers? I don't know, it's pretty exciting. But how many of these amazing products lie unused on a shelf? or up in your attic, or they went straight to a garage sale or to Goodwill. We've all had an introduction that didn't exactly work out, right? Well, we just didn't click. Some of us have sworn off going on another blind date because of that, right? What if I told you that I could share someone and something with you today that would never disappoint you? What if this thing that I share with you today could literally change your life for the better? Do I have your attention? Is that something you might be interested in? In the passage that we're going to look at today uh, in the scriptures, the Apostle John is sharing something and someone. He's sharing something and someone who can change our lives and our eternal souls for the better. 
So turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 1. That's not the Gospel of John. That's John's first letter. It's, it's real close to Revelation. So if you go to the back of the Bible, flip to the front a little bit, you're going to hit 1 John. For those of you using the Bibles there provided in the chairs, it's on page 707. 707. I guess there's a jetliner that's a 707. That helps you remember it. I promise you it'll be helpful to, to look at either on a screen or on uh, the Bible there uh, to look at the text today. I promise we're not going to be flipping around all over the Bible. We're really just going to be looking at that one page, uh, page 707, uh, 1 John chapter 1. While you're turning there, we'll go ahead and recap the series. We're in a series um, that whenever Kyle shares his pulpit with me, uh, I go through, through the, gospel, the first epistle of John, uh, 1 John. And I'm calling it Basics for Believers, not necessarily because everything's basic, but because there are basic foundational truths in this little letter that we need to understand. And John uses simple language. There's a reason that Greek students, uh, one of the first parts of Scripture that they start translating is 1 John. So there's simple language, but often very profound truths in these simple language, uh, this simple language. And the last time we were uh, meeting together, going through this series, I just did a quick overview sermon of the entire book of 1 John. And we talked about three tests, three tests for what we're calling the three elements of the Christian life. And you see that graphic there kind of looks like the periodic table. We talked about how these elements that John keeps bringing up over and over again in this letter, truth, light, and love, keep coming up. And we can think of them as elements in our lives that we need to test for if we have genuine Christianity in our life or in a ministry or in a church or in a creed or teaching. So the first is truth. There are certain things we must believe in order to be Christians. And for a ministry to be a Christian ministry, it must believe. And today's sermon is really heavy on, on truth. Uh, the other thing is light, uh, which could be considered living according to the truth. So it's our morality. It's what we do, how we live our lives. And uh, Lord willing, the next time we continue this series in 1 John, the, next, the rest of uh, 1 John chapter 1 deals a lot about light. Um, and then also the love test. What, who, how, and how we love really shows if we're a Christian or not. And we also touch on love in uh, today's text. Well, today, today's sermon is titled, Sharing Christ. Sharing Christ. John is sharing Christ with us. We are going to look at what that means and what that Christ can do for us if we will receive him. So let's go ahead and read 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. Now that I've stalled long enough, you should all be there and can take a look at that. So just follow along with me as I read aloud. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Well, before we dive in here into our uh, outline, there's a couple questions we need to answer about who or what is being shared and how it is being shared. So the first question is, who or what is being shared? Notice all these impersonal pronouns. You see, first word of this passage is that. And then later on in verse 2, it's it. Uh, that, again, in verse 3. That, that and it. It sounds like John is talking about an object or a thing or maybe even a message. Sometimes you could talk about some advice as it or that, right? So it's impersonal pronouns. Also notice these sense perception words. So he's talking about some of our senses here. We see uh, seen, heard, 
touched, which has the idea of not just like bumping into or, or poking, but like really examining something. Or looked upon, which has the idea of an intense looking for a sustained period of time to really examine it. Uh, all these sense perception words. So that could obviously apply to an object, but it could also apply to a person. We can touch someone, we can hear them, we can see them, we can observe them. Uh, also notice a lot of these nouns. Verse 1 says, word of life. Verse 2 talks about the life, and then even eternal life. So it's both uh, a life, a thing, and it's also a message about that life. Often in the scripture where you see the word of something, it's information, it's a message about that thing. In this case, it's a word about a life or eternal life. And it's not a coincidence um, that, that Kyle read uh, that passage from the Gospel of John uh, that sounds very similar, right, where he talks about the life. He also talks about the word. In the beginning was the word. Well, um, the Greek word there is derived from logos. And that's not just talking about uh, a single word like we think of it in English. There's actually another Greek word for that. This is talking about a body of knowledge or information um, about something. And we know from, first, uh, the, from the Gospel of John that John there is using it for Jesus Christ himself, about the revelation, the information about God was made a human being uh, at the very beginning of, of uh, Christ's earthly life. So the Logos, that's, and the word of life and, and life, that's a strong indication that John is also talking about not just the message of eternal life, but Jesus himself. So what is it? Is John talking about a person, Jesus Christ, or is he talking about a message about Christ, the gospel? The answer is yes, it's both. Christ and the gospel are so connected that you can't really understand one without understanding the other. As the notes in the NIV Zondervan Study Bible say about this passage, the word of life was incarnate in Jesus Christ as well as being proclaimed as a message. John is both sharing Christ himself and a soul-saving message about Jesus Christ. So that's the who or what is being shared. Now we'll, let's think about how it's being shared. So we're going to talk about three Greek words here, okay? We're not going to get all super theological. Um, I'm not a Greek expert. I had a little smattering of it, uh, enough to get myself in trouble. If you have questions, our resident Greek expert is Kyle here on the front row. He knows that uh, he can conjugate luo with the best of them, right? Uh, so there's three words here that get translated in various English words here. Fortunately, John MacArthur and John Stott talk about these words in their commentaries, and so that's what I'm going to share with you here. So the first word, you see that in verse 2, is manifest. It's used a couple places there, made manifest. So according to John MacArthur, manifest has the idea of to reveal, or to make visible what was previously hidden. So uh, think of, you know, you're, you're showing something to someone, and it kind of really speaks for itself. Here it is, take a look at it, I'm revealing this to you. And ultimately, it's God who does the revealing makes manifest. Uh, in this instance here, clearly John's talking about how he got a special revelation from God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is writing that out for the, his original audience and for us today in, in the letter of 1 John. So that's the way it was made manifest to John. But in a sense, when we know the truth about Jesus Christ, God, again, makes it manifest to us. He, he reveals it to us. So God primarily does the manifesting. And then there's a, a, a couple more interesting words. You also see there in verse 2, testify. Uh, John Stott says that this word indicates authority of experience. So you are sharing a personal experience. We've all heard about testimonials, right? Maybe you've been staying up late, couldn't sleep, and you're watching one of those infomercials, and there's all these 
uh, interviews with either people who are real or actors portraying real people saying, oh, my life got so much better when I bought a ShamWow or when I bought this product and it really cleared up my skin. And that's a testimonial. Someone who's used a product and then is sharing that, their experience with other people. So God, uh, John is testifying about his personal experience. And then the other word, you see that in verses 2 and 3, is proclaim. Stott says this word indicates the authority of commission. So you've been authorized, commissioned to share information about something. It's an authoritative, these are the facts, this is the way things are uh, kind of thing you're proclaiming. Well, even, even in this simple understanding of these three different words, we, there's, a, there's a great application here for us today. When you share your testimony, do you also proclaim the gospel? So a lot of us know when we're trying to share the gospel with other people, we know that a great way to do that is to tell the story of how we became believers, to share our testimony, we might say in Christian lingo, right? But maybe if you're sharing how you came to Christ, maybe it sounds something like this. Oh, well, I wasn't doing well, and then I went to church, and I heard a great message, and then I got saved, and now life is so much better. Now, that could be very accurate. That could accurately reflect your personal experience of becoming a Christian, but... Does someone hearing that, are they going to understand how they can become a Christian from that? Are they just going to think, oh, you just had some kind of weird religious experience or had an emotional experience at church? Try when you're sharing your testimony, when you're testifying about what Christ has done to you, to include a proclamation of the gospel. Explain how I heard the message I heard was that I'm a sinner and God is holy and I deserve to be punished. But Jesus died on the cross in my place and that the only way I can experience forgiveness is simply through faith by repenting of my sins and believing in Jesus. So as you're testifying, make sure that you're also proclaiming. That will make you have a much more effective um, uh, sharing of the gospel with others. I think it's a great lesson we get from that. And then also, you know, despite our best efforts, you can have the best testimony, the best thought-out proclamation of the gospel, but unless God himself through the Holy Spirit reveals, makes manifest the truth of Christ to them, they're not really going to become a believer. So you testify, you proclaim, and then you pray fervently that God would make himself manifest to that person you're burdened for. All right. The, now that we've cleared up uh, who or what is being shared and how it's being shared, now we're going to get into the meat of the, the sermon here. So there's, I've got five points for those of you who are avid note takers. Five simple points here. Uh, the title of the, of the sermon is Sharing Christ, and so we're going to look at five points about sharing Christ. And the first point is sharing Christ, the pre-existent God. Sharing Christ, the pre-existent God. Remember how similar this language here in our passage is to the Gospel of John, right? In John, uh, Gospel of John, one chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, which sounds a lot like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And yet it's very different. Uh, our passage here, you say, we see reads, That which was from the beginning. Similar and yet different. And so some people have talked about, is, he, is John talking about something different? Well, we have four different options here. John could be talking about the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry when he was about 30 years of age and started publicly proclaiming uh, the word and, and uh, doing miracles. Or two, it could be referring back to the, when he first became a man, the incarnation, when he was conceived and when he was born. Or it could be talking about like First John seems to be, or the Gospel of John seems to be indicating the beginning of creation. Jesus existed even back then and was involved in creation, or it could be the beginning of absolutely everything from eternity past. Jesus has preexisted. Well, this passage here, I agree with the commentators. At the very least, this passage is teaching the preexistence of Jesus Christ. Christ existed before his conception and his birth. 
That's very different from us. We come into existence at the moment of conception. Now, there's a sense where in Ad, we were represented by Adam, the very first human being, but we weren't really existing at, uh, at that time. So we exist at conception. Jesus Christ actually existed before he was conceived of the Virgin Mary and before he was born at Bethlehem. And the rest of Scripture actually helps us understand that not only was Christ preexistent, he was eternally preexistent. He has always been the eternal Son of God. You know, those passages when it talks about Jesus being the firstborn, that's not saying that there was a time where it was just God the Father and then there was Jesus. It's saying that he has eternally had the position or status of firstborn from eternity past. He has existed along with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And this is one of the many passages then that, that supports the deity of Christ. This isn't anything, none of us can say that we are pre-existent, let alone eternally pre-existent. This is, again, another declaration that Jesus Christ isn't just a man. He is also fully God. And if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, you're not really believing in the real Jesus. This is one of those essential truths, you know, that test for the element of truth. This is one of those important truths that really needs to be present to have real Christianity. But not only do we see that Jesus is God in this passage, we also see that he was and is a human being. So point number two, sharing Christ, the incarnate man. The incarnate man. Notice again all the words describing the three out of our five senses. Uh, we have In verse one, we have heard, seen, looked upon, touched. Verse two, seen again. And then verse three, seen and heard. Jesus could be seen, heard, and touched. Jesus lived at least three years in close quarters with his disciples during his earthly ministry. And then even after his resurrection, remember that, that scene uh, uh, after his resurrection where he's revealing himself to the disciples and he says, here, see my wounds. Actually, put your hands and touch my wounds and see that I have a real body. Now, look, I'm going to eat some fish here in your presence. I'm not just a spirit. I have a real body again. Uh, this is one of the core truths of Christianity. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Or, uh, as, as the late R.C. Sproul liked to say, Jesus is truly God and truly man. He was fully human, yet he never sinned. Uh, again, you can't deny this truth and really be a Christian. Um, and any group or denomination or organization that says otherwise is not really a Christian organization if they deny the, the full humanity or deity of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like the song we just sang uh, that Lori led us in, the, the I Believe. It's kind of based on the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, that beautiful historical statement of these are things you need to believe about God, and specifically that Jesus Christ is God and man. Does that seem odd to you, that this is an important thing to believe? Are you tempted to think, why does it really matter? Why can't we just learn from Jesus' example without believing that he was fully God or fully man? Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you think Christianity is really all about just being a better person. And really that truth claims and doctrine, that's just something that unnecessarily divides people. Well, let me suggest to you just a few reasons why it's important to believe that Christ really became a man. And they all happen to begin with the letter S. I didn't really plan it that way. I'm not always a big fan of cutesy alliteration, but it just kind of seemed to fit. So if this helps you, great. They all begin with S. The first one is scripture. God has revealed in the Bible that Jesus Christ was and is fully human. And we can trust God's word. We shouldn't get into the habit where we pick and choose what we want to believe in the Bible. Like, oh, that's great. That would, that would make a really good inspirational Instagram post or make a good Hallmark card. But, oh, I don't like this part uh, so much. No, the Bible teaches that Jesus is fully human, and we can trust the scriptures. Uh, the two more S words are substitute and sacrifice. 
So because Jesus was and is a man, he could be a sufficient substitute for sinners like you and me. We all know what a substitute is, right? It's someone who takes the place of another person. So when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't just, that wasn't just a tragic martyrdom. That wasn't just an amazing statement. Uh, Jesus was accomplishing something, and he was accomplishing something on the cross because he was being a substitute for sinners. And also has the idea of a sacrifice. All throughout the Old Testament system, you know, there's this idea of, of animals being, uh, having their blood being shed as an appeasement to a, ra- a wrathful God. And Jesus is that perfect sacrifice. And he couldn't be that perfect sacrifice if he wasn't fully a human being like you and I. So substitute and sacrifice. And then the other uh, S word is sympathy. Sympathy. Jesus knows what we're going through. Have you ever been going through something in your life, maybe it's a physical problem or a relationship problem, and then someone came along to comfort you and they'd been through something very similar? And sometimes that can be a real comfort, right? Um, that kind of genuine sympathy. Now, caution, especially to you men out there. I know, ladies, you find it shocking to think that men might all, not always be the best emotional supports and comforts out there. But just a pro tip here, guys, about uh, if you try to do this kind of caution, uh, this, this kind of comfort, is uh, you know, this shouldn't be a one-up session. Like, oh, you think that's bad guess what happened to me one time? Or uh, where you kind of compare apples to oranges. You're like, oh, that's a really bad wound you got there. I know how you feel. I once had a paper cut. So that being said, some of us men, we, we need a little help like, uh, like that in particular. But we, we do know that there are times when, when knowing that somebody's gone through something very similar and they can really truly sympathize with us can be a great comfort. Jesus experienced hunger, thirst, and weariness. He knew disappointment, sorrow, and suffering. Remember when um, he came uh, back to Bethany and Lazarus had died? That was one of Jesus' closest earthly friends. And even though God, Jesus knew that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead and he was about to raise him from the dead, he still wept bitterly at experiencing separation and the, and the effects of sin on, on the world and on human relationships. Uh, Jesus knows what that kind of suffering and sorrow was like. And he was tempted just like we are Yet he never sinned. He never gave in to temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to temptation. Um, Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Remember that the next time you're discouraged about physical suffering in your life or struggling with temptation, Christ can sympathize with you. Show is the next word. Show. Christ reveals God to us. Uh, Colossians says um, that in him, Christ, the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Um, Warren Wearsby, in one of his commentaries about this passage, says, Christ reveals to us the mind and the heart of God. He is the living means of communication between God and men. To know Jesus Christ is to know God. If a man is wrong about Jesus Christ, he is wrong about God, because Jesus Christ is the final and complete revelation of God to men. You know, a lot of, maybe one of the reasons that you're here today is you want to get to know God better. Either you want to know more about him or you want to know him personally. And while there, we, can, we can learn a lot from creation, you know, just sitting out on a rock and meditating isn't going to give, be the best way to fa- get to know God. Let me suggest to you that if you want to know God, get to know Jesus Christ. That is the best way to get to know God. And the final S word here is standard. He is the standard or model. In the army, you know, a lot of times people like to say, show this person what right looks like. Jesus ultimately shows us what right looks like, how we can live a life that pleases God, even in the midst of this sinful world uh, full of suffering and sorrow. 
Christ is a perfect example for how we should live our lives. Now let me caution you here too. There's a, there's a lot of well-meaning uh, folks who call themselves Christian that this is how they think they're going to get to heaven, by being like Christ. A lot of times I'll get Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on my door and, and I try to witness to them too. And I'll ask them many times, like, well, here's what I believe the Bible says about how our sins can be forgiven. What do you believe about that? And typically they'll say something like, oh, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Well, that's a good thing, but the problem is none of us have lived up to that standard. None of us can. Um, that's why we need Christ's death on the cross for us. So that's not how we are saved. But once we have experienced forgiveness through faith in Christ, we should want to follow the example of Christ. This is the pattern for how we should then live our lives in a way that pleases God. So I'm sure we could think of other uh, good reasons for why we should believe that Jesus became a man and ones even that don't begin with the letter S. But suffice it to say, it's important that we understand that Jesus Christ is and was fully human. So these first two points are really all about who Christ is, what his nature is like. And the next three points uh, will help us understand what Christ gives, what we can receive when Christ is shared with us, what he offers to those who repent and believe. Point number three is sharing Christ, the life giver. Sharing Christ, the life giver. Notice all the references to life in this passage. Verse one says word of life. Verse two says life, and then specifically eternal life. Think about that, eternal life. Life that does not end. Now this isn't some sort of zombie existence. This is living the full, perfect life without end, in a perfect body. Really the opposite of eternal life in the scripture isn't ceasing to exist for all time. The opposite of eternal life in the Bible is hell. It's eternal spiritual death, separation from God, bearing the punishment that we all deserve as rebels against God. So that is the opposite. Eternal life, it's ongoing life, uh, living the, really the good life. This is a common theme for John. Remember in the Gospel of John, probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Believing in Jesus Christ leads to eternal life. This is why Jesus was sent. He came here to rescue sinners, to give them eternal life, so that those rescued sinners could live forever glorifying and praising God for this amazing act of redemption. Uh, this, this theme is all over John's writing. It's also in the Apostle Paul's. Remember in Ephesians, he talks about how we were all naturally spiritually dead until God made us alive. That's that kind of eternal life that begins now. We deserve eternal death and suffering because of our sin. But through Christ, we can have eternal life. But eternal life doesn't just begin when you die. It actually begins now if you are a believer in Christ. Living the good life. What do you, what do you, how do you define living the good life? Well, if you uh, see, have seen American culture for any length of time and you've seen uh, your share of beer commercials, this, is, this might be what you think the good life is, having good times with friends. Or maybe you're a fan of Dos Equis commercials and you think having as many life experiences as possible so you can be the most interesting man. Or like a lot of beer commercials, you just think being around scantily clad women on the beach. That's, that's the good life. Or maybe you have a more sophisticated idea of what the good life is. You, maybe you think having a successful career or lots of life accomplishments will be the good life. Or having wealth and financial security. Or having satisfying romantic relationships. That's the good life. Or raising children that end up becoming productive members of society. Or uh, having ease or lack of stress. This is probably a definition of good life for a lot of guys my age and younger. It's just like, oh, I just don't want to have any stress, any responsibilities. To me, that's the good life. Or having good health. You know, not having, having a, a, a body that's in shape 
and not having any serious physical problems. That's the good life. Well, friends, none of these things are ultimately the good life. The good life can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you receive and accept Jesus, you have the promise of God that you will have eternal life, an eternal life that begins now. Point number four, sharing Christ, the fellowship giver. Sharing Christ, the fellowship giver. You'll notice there's a couple purpose statements in this passage. So that, that first purpose statement we see there in uh, verses, verse 3. So that you too may have fellowship. Have fellowship. Well, what is, what is fellowship? Is that a, having a church potluck, right? I mean, the old joke about Baptists is you can't have fellowship without food. Um, Kyle and I recently got to, to go to a, a, a church potluck. We were at the a gathering of a, the, associate, the Christian County Baptist Association, and there was a potluck provided, and I was pretty excited about that. I like fried chicken and all the down-home fixings, and I was just a little disappointed they didn't have banana pudding. I mean, what's a, what's a southern church potluck without banana pudding? I mean, come on. But Kyle, who is our resident germaphobe, just didn't like the idea of the potluck, so he went home, had a home-cooked meal, and then came back for the, the after session. Um, so yeah, food, hospitality, it's a great way to enjoy fellowship, um, but it's not fellowship itself. Just like worship is not the same thing as singing, although singing and music can be a wonderful way to express worship and to cultivate a heart of worship. Fellowship is fundamentally having something in common, a connection, a relationship based on something we all have in common. Particularly, it's the idea of being devoted together to the same cause or mission. How many of you are like me and are a little bit of a Tolkien geek? Like the Lord of the Rings, a few, okay? We had one honest soul, thank you. We had one honest soul earlier in the first service. Uh, but if you remember either from the movies or the books or just from picking it up in pop culture, the first book of the trilogy is called The Fellowship of the Ring. So there was this fellowship, this group of people from very diverse backgrounds, hobbits, elves, dwarves, and men. Yeah, I know, sorry, it's cheesy. But they were all devoted to this one mission, taking the ring so it could be destroyed and so that evil wouldn't triumph over all of Middle-earth. And uh, so that's the thing that, that bound these different people together with a cause. And they, they were the fellowship of the ring. Think of your favorite war movie or even those of you who are in the army. You know, the army often tries to cultivate unit pride or esprit de corps is the fancy word for it. This is actually my full-time job. A big part of my full-time job as a historian and working at the museum is to try to help people understand how exciting it is to be part of the 101st Airborne Division. So they feel a sense of fellowship with those screaming eagles who've gone before and, and it gives them motivation um, to work with their fellow uh, screaming eagles to achieve um, the best they possibly can. Some of you are even part of elite special forces units, so you know all about that kind of um, unit cohesion, that, that fellowship you have by shared experience. Maybe a really rough deployment sometimes can really bring people together the, the way a, a really uh, relaxed one can. Other of you have other uh, ways of fellowship or, or uh, things you have in common, like the college you graduated from or the fraternity sorority you were part of. Maybe your hometown or the sports team that you cheer for. You have a sense of something in common with someone because of that. Well, in this passage, um, who do we get this fellowship with, this kind of sense of belonging and community? Well, you'll notice there, it says in verse 3, us. You will have fellowship with us. So clearly we have fellowship with the Apostle John, who's writing the book, likely the other apostles and, and the Christians who have gone before as he's writing this book. Um, and also it, it has to do with the people who are reading this book for the first time, the Christians that John is writing this to, and by implication, all of us. 
We can have fellowship with each other because of Jesus Christ. We have people, even in this service right now, from many different backgrounds, from different locations, grew up speaking different languages maybe. And a lot of us don't have necessarily a lot in common that we would necessarily hang out uh, normally, other than the fact that we all have Jesus Christ in common. That, that, that enables us to have fellowship with other people. Also, this is kind of mind-blowing, we have fellowship with God. Uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians how we were once enemies of God. That's our natural state. But through God, we've been made friends through believing in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but in a sense, we get to have the same fellowship uh, as is happening with the Trinity. This is mind-blowing. We can enjoy the same fellowship with God as the kind that's been uh, had throughout all eternity within the Trinity. This is really a universal urge. We all have a craving for fellowship, community, or belonging. We all want to feel like we belong, that we're known and we know others. And we often, though, unfortunately look for fellowship in all the wrong places. Either we look at, uh, for it in good things, but just that won't ultimately satisfy that. Or this is why we have gangs. People want to have a sense of belonging, and they'll even be part of a criminal organization to have that sense of belonging. Uh, or why we give in to peer pressure. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I know God wouldn't be pleased with this, but I want to fit in with my battle buddies or my coworkers or my neighbors or whoever, my friends. And uh, that, that craving for fellowship can often lead us to do what's wrong. And we all know that one of the worst feelings you can have, even worse than physical suffering sometimes, is the feeling of loneliness. But friends, true fellowship can only be found in Jesus Christ. The only kind of uh, satisfying fellowship that we really crave can only be met in Jesus Christ. And as a side note, this is why we have one of the many reasons that we believe in local, the local church so much here at this local church. I mean, we believe in church membership. And if you want to know more about why, how you could experience fellowship by becoming an official member of a, of a local church, you're in luck. This Saturday at 9 o'clock, we're having another membership class. And it doesn't, doesn't require you to pursue membership after that. It's just an informative class. But we'll walk you through, and I promise I won't take any more than an hour, hour and a half tops of your time to explain what we believe about local church ministry here at this church and how that might be the, one of the best ways to satisfy that craving for fellowship that God has given to you. All right, and, and, and make sure you sign up online or wherever we're doing that now so we have enough uh, chicken biscuits for you uh, from Chick-fil-A and, and other assorted breakfast items. All right, off that soapbox. Point number five, our last, our last point. Sharing Christ, the joy giver. Sharing Christ, the joy giver. The second purpose statement there, the so that statement is in verse four, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Complete Joy. Whose joy? Well, maybe your version says yours. Uh, the ESV that we're using here in the service says ours. Uh, they're, both, they're both pretty fitting. I think or, uh, ours is better. Certainly, yours is appropriate. Uh, John is saying that we, his audience, will have perfect joy if we experience Christ. He's also probably talking about his own joy. Uh, there's a, another passage later on in this letter where he talks about the joy that he has when he knows that his spiritual children are walking in the truth. And, of course, we know that there's great rejoicing in heaven whenever one sinner repents and believes in Christ. So I think our joy is the best. So we can all experience this joy through Christ. Well, what really is joy? Uh, uh, let me suggest to you that it's more than what we typically think of as just happiness. We're having good times. Um, things are going pretty well. We're happy. It's something much deeper than that. It's not based on our circumstances, our wealth, our health, our status, our relationship, or our lack of stress. It is a deep satisfaction and delight. It also involves a confidence 
in God's perfect plan for our life. It's how you can have joy even when you're looking down at your, your father's body and he's about to pass away from a stroke and you, you know that you're never going to have a chance to say I love you and know with confidence that he heard you before, uh, you know, in this life anyway. And some of you have been through even worse experiences than that. This is how you can have, uh, you can experience grief, you can shed tears, uh, you can experience the sorrow of this life and yet down deep still have that satisfying joy knowing that it's going to be all right, that God has a plan, and that God is still good. True fellowship, excuse me, joy only comes from God. And if you want to know more about joy, and I really encourage you to know more about joy, I recommend you pretty much anything John Piper has written or said. Um, some of his books, including Desiring God, or it's a theme through pretty much all of his writing, uh, his blogs, his podcasts, and sermons. His big point is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And he got that truth from theologians of the past and from the scripture itself. I think it's very biblical. We can, one of the best ways that we can glorify God is finding our satisfaction and joy in him and not in false hopes and idols. Joy is actually serious business. The glory of God is at stake. And we need to know that the things in this life, even the good things in this life, will not, automatically give a, will not ultimately give us uh, this kind of joy. If you want to know more about that, read the book of Ecclesiastes. And today's a great day. Uh, it's gloomy and, dr and dreary. It's a great day to just sit down and read the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's great. <laughs> Otherwise, or just take my word for it. Um, John is helping us understand in this passage that true joy can only be found in Christ. All right, that's our, that's our outline. I've got two quick applications for you here today, and then we're done. First application, have you accepted this Jesus? Have you accepted this Jesus? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation that's offered to us in Jesus? Have you acknowledged uh, your sin and turned from your sin? Not that you've become perfect, but that your, your purpose is to turn away from sin. You know you're still going to struggle with sin and even give in to temptation, but you've purposed in your heart that you don't want that anymore. You're not going to make excuses for it anymore. You've repented. Have you placed your faith only in what Jesus did on the cross? Are you relying on or believing in him alone? Or are you trusting in an imposter, either your own good works or someone who really isn't Jesus? Uh, do you deny that Jesus is God or that he is man or that it even matters? Is Jesus just an example for your life so you can follow him as best you can and then feel like a better person? If you have any questions about whether or not you have accepted Christ, whether your sins are forgiven, whether you have the hope of eternal life, would you please talk to one of us, talk to me, talk to Kyle, talk to one of the many members here uh, in this service. We would love to to show you, even from the scriptures, how you can know your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. Uh, so talk to one of us, reach out to us, or come back next week. Uh, this is just like a sermon full of plugs, uh, I know, but next Sunday, during the 9 o'clock, during the first service, come here a little earlier in one, in the back class, in one of the back classrooms. We'll start a six-week lesson called Christianity Explained, where we just walk through the Gospel of Mark. Who is Jesus? How can you know your sins are forgiven? Uh, how does Jesus relate to you? Um, that'd be good for you if you, you're trying to explore these things or if you want some um, equipment for learning how to share it with others. All right, 9 o'clock, first service next week. Ha are, have you accepted this Jesus? Second application, are you sharing this Jesus? Are you sharing Jesus with others? Are you uh, with, with, with friends and family and coworkers and neighbors? Are you sharing Jesus and the message about Jesus? Are you testifying about what Jesus has done for you? Are you proclaiming authoritatively the facts of the gospel message to people? Are you praying fervently that God would reveal or make manifest 
his truth to someone in particular? Is there someone you're burdened for and you're praying, God, would you please use my humble attempts or use whatever means necessary to, to reveal yourself, make yourself manifest to this person? And my concern here isn't primarily with your evangelism techniques, how you share the gospel or how often. You don't need to feel like you need to commandeer every conversation and try to turn it into a gospel presentation. There's, you can be sensitive to you know, the social appropriateness of it, but you have a desire to share Christ with others, either with people that you know well or even perfect strangers if it, if it, it naturally works out that way. You know, Kyle and I are from a background where it's like the ultimate in evangelism was how many hours a week are you spending knocking on doors, having awkward conversations with people? You know, my, that might not be the best technique, but do you have a desire to, as you have opportunity, share Christ with other people? The way uh, Christ uh, has, is being shared with us by the God, Apostle John and, and, and someone shared with us at one time. We need to learn, love, and live the gospel. We need to preach it to ourselves, and we need to learn to summarize it quickly. Uh, if you had just had 30 seconds to give an elevator pitch for the gospel, would you be able in 30 seconds to explain the gospel, to proclaim the gospel? Or would you, if you had more time, would you be able to unpack the gospel a little bit more and be able to address some of the misconceptions and misunderstandings that people often have about the gospel? Above all, love the gospel. Cultivate in your heart a love for the gospel. That's one of the things Kyle and I try to do every week, is not just explain the gospel, but we hope that you will learn to love the gospel as we, as we preach gospel-centered um, expositional sermons. If you love the gospel, you will share the gospel. Well, the Apostle John is sharing Christ with us in this passage. He's sharing Christ, the preexistent and eternal God. Christ, the real, physical human being. Christ, the only source of eternal life. And Christ, the only way to perfect fellowship and perfect joy. Have you received this Christ? Are you sharing this Christ? Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.